0: You, 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 you know the I the I I I SEA you, you know the I the I I I SEA Hello and welcome to episode 311 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton and I'm Tristan Carcino
1: and we're coming to you in different locations again this week I'm in Seattle Washington home of the CONCACAF Champions League champion Seattle Sounders FC. Hello!
0: And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks.
1: It's a semi emergency pod as we record this hours after Sounders FC have won potentially the biggest game in franchise history in front of a sellout crowd, becoming the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League once it rebranded into that and certainly in anything approaching the current format that required winning you know, a series of matchups against a variety of opponents from around the continent uh, capped by this one against Pumas of Mexico, beating two Liga MX sides en route to the title to end the Liga MX dominance of this format of CONCACAF Champions League.
0: Incredible. And, and I think before then, before we get a little bit deeper into that conversation, which we'll talk about more and the podcast in general, I think want to mention that, you know, we have fun on this podcast and, you know, focusing on sports. We talk about the crack and curse and really just want to mention that all of these things are merely distractions and purely entertainment as opposed to what is happening and the magnitude of what is happening in the country in general and the the leaked ruling from the supreme court of the overturning of roe versus wade uh which is cruel and uh, an offensive uh reduction of human rights to the people of the united states that we obviously do not agree with and really just want to emphasize that like you know, having these conversations, it's it's all fun and in jest. And in the world at large, there are very, very bad things that are happening. And, you know, this in particular, and I think it's really disconcerting about the, the direction that our country is heading. And uh, it's it's difficult to talk about and to have the same kind of joy when discussing this Sounders victory or discussing the whole rain match, right, when it's under the, the umbrella of what's happening in the world at large right now in the united states at large right now and it feels like it's been kind of an ongoing constant for the last six years at this point that we've been dealing with and especially the reduction of human rights in the united states um, and it feels like it's really difficult to find the positives that are happening and this is kind of The latest blow and I think it's really important to keep the attention on this particular issue and to understand and keep the energy up and not to let this fall by the wayside because there have been very important things that have happened in this country and there have been responses that have happened to them that are troubling that have happened because of the responses to the negative things happening. And I think this is going to be an important one that we keep our eyes on. And so if anybody, we have remaining PeltonCast hats. Um, if anybody is still interested in one and would like to uh, message us, we'll donate all the proceeds to Planned Parenthood. Uh, uh, that's peltoncast at gmail.com. Yep. Send a DM or send an email to peltoncast at gmail.com. We'll coordinate with a Venmo or a PayPal or whatever. We'll send those off and 100% of proceeds from those uh, we will donate to Planned Parenthood because these are uh, these are pretty terrible times that we're living in the United States when we're revisiting you know, the rule of law that has existed for 70 years in this country and going back on it.
1: I mean, I think it's just yet another reminder. And as you said, this has been ongoing for a period of time. Uh, the importance of voting and and getting out and, you know, making your voice heard because the ramifications of these elections are not just felt for the four years that a candidate is in office. It's for the decades that, you know, Supreme Court justices are nominated to the court and the, the changes to that makeup continue to reverberate well beyond a particular administration. So, you know, it is yet another reminder that uh, we can't take anything for granted or be complacent. So, soccer. Uh, we haven't recorded since this this two game aggregate series began. We previewed it the last time we recorded, and we've actually so recorded real- a lot for what it's worth. Well, yeah, that's, we've that's recorded good
0: point. numerous podcasts. We
1: haven't talked specifically about this series. We recorded three draft podcasts over four days, I believe. So thanks to everybody for listening to those. And obviously those remain relevant. We'll talk a little more about the draft later on. Uh, Willie, you have
0: more to talk about the draft.
1: I guess we'll talk more about the Seahawks. We do have the 800 word email, but I've decided, I think we're going to push that to next week. So it it has more time, a little more space. Need to do some research on running backs. Uh, Anyways, Sounders got the uh, the 2-2 draw that felt very much like a win in Mexico City. They were down 2-0 in that game, scored two goals on penalties, both either confirmed or created by VAR. Thankfully, there was not that same degree of refereeing uh, uh, controversy in this return match, but it ended up meaning that with, aggregate, uh, with uh, road goals out the window in the CONCACAF Champions League final aggregate series, that this was just a straight up match. It was a one game. Whoever won today, whether it was via on the field or via penalties was going to walk away the CONCACAF champions league winners. And uh, that was a very exciting atmosphere. And, and obviously it was matched by a sellout crowd at Lumen field, the biggest crowd ever to watch a CONCACAF champions league final. So, you know, kudos to Sounders fans. And one of the discussions that came up, this came up in the Pelton cast, uh, Uh, replies last week was is this the biggest match in sounders history and i think the uh the comparison there is going to be the 2019 mls cup final that they hosted and won at home against toronto fc and you know that was or was that 18 i don't know whichever year it was uh that was a no it was 2019 that was a big deal but someone wins mls cup every year yeah whereas no MLS team has won this competition in, you know, over a decade and a half. And I think that's what makes this, especially after the Sounders have won it, you know, it, it called an easy call that this was the biggest match in franchise history.
0: <laughs> after the Sounders won it. It was easy. If they lost, it would have been a different Kind <laughs> of irrelevant. Not even important. <laughs> would but, have rationalized it hard. I think the most important thing is how they won it. The penalties that were given in Mexico. And there might've been questions there about one and or both of those penalties that happened, right? They were both kind of reviewed via VAR and ultimately given, but like you could have seen it in a couple of different ways, both of those penalties and come back to Seattle and said to yourself, yeah they're pretty lucky, lucky to get out of there with a two, two draw. And I think the most important part about this match, winning is the most important piece, but the second and the third goal in particular, and winning this decisively, right? Understanding that this wasn't just, they didn't sneak by, they weren't lucky to have won. The Sounders are a better team. They are a better club than Pumas, and maybe Pumas isn't the best team in all of Mexico. I think you could probably pretty definitively say that, but uh, in, they,
1: they did sneak into the Liga
0: MX closer a playoff in 12th place with their win last week. 12th place. In the same way that Italy is the best team in all of Europe, <laughs> indisputably, <laughs> Your Seattle Sounders are the best team in all of North America. Wow. And I mean, indisputable. you start It's the indisputable. They have won the North
1: American championship. That is in, in uh, the Caribbean. So make sure we throw and that Central in Central America as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They, they, so. they are the the where does Central America fit as far as North America, South America? <laughs> what do you mean? It's still part I mean, of the North, North America. Right? Yes. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. I conf- I said it right the first time. You're correcting th- me as if I wasn't including part of North America. I said North America. All right. Fair enough. From the Caribbean to the farthest tip of the Northwest Territories. The Seattle uh, Sounders t- are the best soccer team in all to- of that territory.
1: To Alaska, homophobe Ed Vargas. Uh, yeah, I mean... The the uh, when you were saying that, you know, the storm slogan this season that uh, head coach Noel Quinn has mentioned that Percy Allen wrote about the other day in the Seattle Times is leave no doubt. And that's what the Sounders did with the second half of this game, because the first half was pretty evenly played, could have gone either way. Sounders get a I mean, it wasn't necessarily a lucky goal, but it certainly was a a good break to have real read as a shot that was on target redirected off of a Pumas defender's arm into the goal. And that's how the Sounders take a 1-0 lead after a difficult half for them where they saw two players come off with injuries, both Nuhu in the very early stages. Well, we were still watching O.L. Reign's penalty kicks, as we're going to talk about later in the pod in the uh, NWSL Challenge Cup, which semifinal, semi-final, which obviously is unimportant because O.L. Reign lost that. Uh, and then Joel Paolo later on with a, a knee injury that he was on crutches post game. So that's not super encouraging for the long term outlook. But you know, Sounders make subs there. Kellen Rowe and Vargas come in and they didn't really skip a beat. And then second half game still on a knife edge. Terrific Stefan Fry save to keep it at one nothing. But then that second goal to me, that's that's as good soccer as the Sounders have ever played.
0: The Rui Diaz goal?
1: Yeah. yeah i mean just the run by jordan morris his ball coming back to nico ladera it was a great first ball and then ladera makes an even better pass to set up real rui diaz for the open finish
0: i mean you look at it and it's just like boom 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 jomo ladero rui diaz with the finish that's kind of it that's like the tip for the sounders right that is it, it, it's a beautiful thing. And it is probably the three, at least maybe most iconic players in Sounders history, one to the other. Boom, boom, boom. Right. The, the three players who've contributed the most to the Sounders, especially in this current run, and probably to the entire history of the Sounders, all connecting with each other and sealing the deal on the CONCACAF Champions League. I mean,
1: Freddie Montero, who got in in the late stages, is they subbed off those three players, might have something to say about the entire list of, of the players. players
0: in Sounders history, obviously, Ozzy Alonso, Clint Dempsey, right, like the Casey Keller, like I
1: mean, I mean, Montero is still the highest goal scorer in franchise history. But seeing those and th- and also remember he played a fair, bare bet in the start of this Concacaf Champions League run. Like he, he, you know, he wasn't just along for the ride here.
0: But those those three connecting with each other. On a play like this, you know, it 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 was it was kind of like what this era of the Sounders is all all of them connecting, playing their their specific roles and then finding Rui Diaz to put it in the net. A beautiful touch, right? The little flick. It gets to him instant right in a perfect ball. Everybody playing their parts perfectly, sending it along down the line right across the box into Rui Diaz, the right foot into goal. It's done. And I think it's
1: what showcases why MLS was in position to be able to win a tournament like this. It didn't hurt that, you know, it ended up they now they beat a much better team in Leon who had beat them last year in the League's Cup in the quarterfinal. It broke kind of well that Pumas was the League
0: MX team that they faced Look, in the final. That sometimes wasn't maybe you beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl, but you're still in the fucking Verizon ad every single second. Whether you beat the Chiefs or whether you beat the Bagels, you're still on the Verizon ad, okay?
1: But but anyways, Ruiz Diaz is someone who, you know, even five years ago, I think there's a pretty good chance he would be playing in Liga MX and not MLS because of the fact that that was a higher level of competition, better salaries, et cetera. And even though MLS was getting stars with the designated players, it was typically players at the late stages of their career you know, it wasn't guys right smack in their prime like Rui Diaz is, Ladero to a lesser extent. That same thing, and then also the development of American soccer talent to the point where you know Jordan Morris was able to go over and play in England, you know, uh, before the ACL injury, and now seems to be recovered back to that level that he was before that when you know he was one of the best players in MLS and certainly one of the best American. Bring him players, back,
0: really. send him to Southampton. <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm, I'm happy keeping Jordan Morris. Whatever he wants to do. It's coming he's home. ready to try Europe again. And by, by all it, means. we mean
0: Jordan Morris is going back to England. No.
1: And then Ladero scores the third goal. And uh, I mean, it was late enough in the game Mayhem. match that he basically celebrated as much as you can celebrate any <laughs> goal. And as long for, as you can celebrate any goal, I think. It was just great stuff. Soccer also like they do the celebration of a championship or a title or cup so much better than any other sport to have, you know, every player come up on stage individually and get highlighted and then lifting the trophy with the captain with Ladero getting the chance to do it. It's it's way better than our American sports celebration.
0: A true cup also.
1: Yes, we have not yet seen any photos or video of people drinking out of the cup, but I
0: assume it's. Happening oh, it's going on point. right as we speak. <laughs> Somebody is drinking from the cup. I mean that's
1: that's the one difference from two thousand nineteen in the that MLS cup is I was in the locker room seeing people drink out of the uh MLS cup back then. Sadly, you know, you in the locker to do room? That. They did. Wow. They big died. mistake.
0: Big mistake.
1: <laughs> uh sadly wasn't able to do that with the NBA playoffs ongoing right now, but uh uh, certainly, I think a, a night that's going to stand with any in Sounders history, and you know there are more trophies to be won, more accomplishments coming, but you know this kind of history to make it for the Sounders in MLS that's gonna that's gonna stand for a long period of time.
0: They will always be the first every every time that an MLS team wins the Concacaf Champions League, which look it might be a lot from here on out. You know, you talked about the changing climate of these leagues, and MLS has definitely become uh what maybe a slightly more powerful league across the world and especially the talent that's coming through it but no matter what there's always a first and the sounders were the first club the first mls club to win the Concacaf champions league and they are the best soccer club in all of north america
1: well this means now that they qualified for the FIFA Club World Cup. They're going to test themselves against the best soccer teams. So what does the FIFA Club world, the world Cup
0: mean? Where-
1: so historic... Okay, this is a, a, a distinction that I just learned about. I was aware of the FIFA Club World Cup, but I did not know this particular fact, which is that uh, in FIFA decided at some point to change it from... It used to be the seven confederation winners plus an eighth host team. Okay. So it was an eight-team tournament, historically. It was scheduled to expand in 2021 to 24 teams. Oh my! From across the world, that was postponed due to pandemic fixture congestion. FIFA has yet to commit when to when that change will take place, but either it will be again the eight confed like other uh, Champions League or whatever the confederation championship is. So is UEFA Champions League is currently playing out with the semifinals. Like the winner of that. The Sounders could potentially be drawn against. God, I would love in, it. I would love to Club play Club Real
0: Madrid Cup. in a competitive match. I mean, just the
1: the possibilities is I like because we've seen these clubs come to Lumen Field and play exhibitions. Totally different. You know, a lot of them. But yeah, they no, might treat just... it like
0: an exhibition if they play the Sounders. <laughs> ah!
1: I was looking it up in the two. So they played the 2020 and 2021 editions back to back last year or earlier this year, I should say, uh, was when they finally got to them. And in one of them, Tigris was the uh, league MX winner and they made it to the final. So obviously I think Tigris is better than the Sounders. Where did they but
0: play?
1: I'd have to go look it up there. Was but, it the you know, Champions there some League st- champion?
0: Or did they? Well, just, yeah, in the, they oh, yeah. Just... Oh, in the
1: final. Yes. Yes. They played Bayern Munich in the okay. final. So
0: I was going to say, I uh, feel like the UEFA champion could probably just like phone it in and still make the final.
1: Right. It depends where you're drawn, but there are also some pretty small confederations out there. Oceania. uh, the bring it on Oceana. Yeah. So got nothing. Uh, there's a real possibility of a run here. I would say
0: Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely take Antarctica. <laughs>
1: So no details on that as yet, but uh, we will we will continue to monitor that. Anything else to say on this match and this
0: this it, title? I, I think the most important piece to me was when the Sounders scored that first goal, it really felt over. And I, I think that was part of the domination that the Sounders had. There was maybe one dangerous chance after that, but it was almost like it, in my true... Wanting just to see interesting things self. A little part of me was like, it'd be kind of fun if they scored a goal, you know, mm. like, wow. th- but if if this would have been a one nothing victory for the Sounders and the two goals at the end of the match hadn't happened, it would have been one nothing. And that was the goal that they scored the deflection of the goal. It would have been like. They- but there would have
1: been there would have been some tense moments because, as you know, you know, Pumas would have started playing soccer I, in the last. 15 to 20 minutes of the match.
0: The the only two ways that it could have happened and felt good where the Sounders got another goal and especially getting two was very exciting or they give up one and then we actually, you know, have, have some soccer happen. But I, I think scoring those two goals in the match, that's what really turned around. But it just felt like I saw that ball get deflected in the net and I was like, it's over, it's done. That is it. Pumas is I mean, not other, scoring here. And it was, they didn't.
1: They did not. The other thing on the leave, no doubt element of this, by the way, which is why Stefan Fry named uh player of the tournament as well. As I think that of that was tournament. one of
0: the balls that Stefan Fry saved. That, that was the dangerous chance where there was a ball that came in that Fry saved. Yeah. Like, whew, okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you know, he was really crucial in the win or not the win, but maintaining the draw at NYCFC in the semifinals. Uh, certainly certainly an impressive tournament from Stefan Fry, but Sounders oh, I mean we, we leave no about doubt this point.
0: last week, but saving the penalty kick last week and then ended up being a hair off the line, but the initial save of that penalty kick last week, which I thought was a pretty questionable penalty kick that was given uh when he saves that, it's just like, oh, let's freaking go here, Stefan Fry
1: yeah uh but to the leave no doubt point, Saunders did not lose a single game. In their eight matches in this tournament, had several away draws. I think, in fact, every away match they drew. But in home, it games, took them
0: the ninety-six minute or whatever.
1: In home games, they outscored their opponents fourteen to one. That that is domination. That is quite impressive work for the Sounders. All right, let's get into the uh, regular weekly pod, starting with this week's beer to keep up the soccer theme. I'm drinking the Rubens Up the Bridges Pale Ale, uh, the fifth release in the Rubens Brew's 10th anniversary collaboration series brewed in collaboration with the folks at Ballard FC. Rubens Brews is the title sponsor for the inaugural season of our neighborhood's first ever USL2 soccer team. We are proud to continue supporting our community and providing a gathering spot for our neighborhood to support our own soccer team. Up the Bridges is the battle cry of the new team in reference to the iconic Ballard Ballard Bridge located a few weeks from the Rubens Two blocks from the ruins taproom, this American pale ale with a special blend of brand new and tried and true hops, including HBC Ten Nineteen and Cashmere, alongside Michigan Chinook and Cascade, crisp, clean, and hoppy. Up the Bridges is the perfect beer to enjoy at kickoff of a new soccer season, which uh, Ballard FC's inaugural season in USL League Two starts May twenty
0: first. USL League Two,
1: yes. So that's kind of the independent teams where and smaller teams, whereas USL. League, I think League One is where the uh, you know the Sounders, uh, the Defiance have played, and then also some of the bigger independent USL teams. All right, this week's toasts. First off, to Baby Fantasy Genius oh. and his Liberty team, champions of the Border Wars U10 baseball wow. tournament. Very excited.
0: U9. Oh, U9. Yes. Okay. I mean, there there was a U10. He just wasn't competing in U10. Uh, wow, we're getting that straight off the top.
1: I mean, we don't have any coaches corner since you weren't actually there.
0: Oh, I was there in spirit though. I was there <laughs> in spirit. I told you after the after the first game that uh, I considered sending a message. If the outcome of the second game would have gone differently, I was gonna send a message to the coaches with a little bit of strategy advice. <laughs> And I was Somebody not joking about this. Two
1: about baseball. I'm
0: just sitting here fucking with COVID locked up, me and babyist Fantasy Genius locked in the house. I have not left my fucking house in like a week. And I'm sitting here being like, this is the strategy we need to play baseball. So uh, I believe you're currently at
1: nine days, correct?
0: I, I've left the house. I have not been into a location. I, I've basically left the house one time in that entire time period. Wow. It's been long. Uh Thank yeah, I you, know what Dave, I think fantasy genius. I think so it is nine yeah, was nine days. Yes, it was last Tuesday. You <sighs> tested positive. Oh, so um but uh ultimately, you know, they, they competed, they fought their hardest, they lost the first game and then ended up winning four in a row, went into the Sunday as the last seed that made it into the championship bracket. Uh, there were, I think there were four teams that were in the consolation bracket. So they were the sixth seed heading into Sunday needed to win three in a row to win the championship. Uh, and baby fantasy genius came in, started game two, three scoreless innings in game two. I'm like these kids, I don't know what the level of competition is, but if they paid their money and they showed up, I feel like they have to be pretty good. Right. One would think. He took a line drive off the chest. Still has a bruise from it. That was his last out of the game. Uh, went to the dugout after that in pain. Uh, he, took, he took the line drive off the chest, made the throw to first to get the out. Went to the dugout after that. Started screaming and swearing that he was going to quit baseball forever. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, didn't, didn't. He was back. Apparently he had the wind knocked out of him for the first time ever. I don't know if you remember having the wind knocked out of you for the first time ever.
1: I can vividly me remember too. the first I time I had the wind knocked out of me. Valley View Elementary, also at school. Valley View Elementary, soccer field. Uh, we were playing soccer one day, and I was like, "What's going on? Why can't I breathe?
0: <laughs> For me, it was escape from PE. There, there was <laughs> how did that happen? There's the like ladder thing, like a big wood ladder, and you crawl across the top. And I fell off the top, like it right. It's like a sideways ladder. That you crawl across and I fell off of it and I hit right on my back, like boom. And I was just like (gasps) and I was like, Well, it was a good run. (laughs) I caught many episodes of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. (laughs) I've I've witnessed Stefan Urkel and I'm gonna die now.
1: Like that would stuck around for the
0: Fresh Prince reboot. (laughs) That was it, oh god. I was like, if Will made it from gunpoint, I could make it through this. And uh, I remember the PE teacher, Mr. Nelson.
1: Sounds right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mr. Nelson being like, you had the wind knocked out of you. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but I don't like it. And so that happened to Baby Fantasy Genius with the line drive coming off the chest. He was panicked first ever time. So for him, he freaking got a ring after he had, and for me, escape from PE. They didn't give me a ring at all. But, uh, it definitely didn't give me a ring for our, our uh, recess soccer game. <laughs> for your recess, those rings are fat too. They're pretty heavy. They are. Wow. No, I I was like, I, again, I I am at the extreme end of none of the shit matters. But I I kind of when the team they they did they again I wasn't there, it's been at home. Uh they won the championship. They all just like gathered. It was like straight up it's a free zoom here remaining meeting time uh but they they did are we recording this podcast um we are i've never seen such a thing uh but did ben baldwin or zach whitman jump in to make it a three-person zoom unclear unclear (laughs) okay uh you gotta go zach we've had you enough um but uh, so they they you know they did the the World Series thing. They win the championship. Everybody runs out to the mound, gathers around. Right? They jump up and down, and uh, I I really was like, I think this is a lasting memory for these kids. Like for even for me, as cold hearted and negative as I am about children's sports, I was like, I actually understand the value of this because when those kids like you and i didn't fucking win a u9 baseball championship and get rings right you still haven't won any
1: intramural recreational that's the closest
0: i've come the almost text that i sent was the closest i came to winning a ring but the i mean i do
1: have the multiple softball championship rings from the storm softball team. you got rings for those no, we didn't actually get
0: rings, no. Yeah, if it's not a cup and you don't get a ring, it's worthless. If you can't drink Fair out of point. it, and you can't wear it, it's worthless, kids. Um, but
1: I like, got the I got the underdog champion t-shirts. It's uh, yeah, not the same.
0: That... Luca will have like a lasting memory. 20 years from now, he will be like, "What I was in this U9 baseball tournament." Or he'll be really successful and win a bunch of baseball tournaments, but like assuming this is it. Right. I think it's a fair assumption. Assuming this is it, he could be like, yeah, kind of weird. I don't know. When I was like under 10, I won a baseball championship. You know, just be like, yeah, I just like pitched in this game. Three scoreless innings. It's whatever. Right. Elevate Northwest. They can go fuck themselves. Uh, And also beating Mercer Island in the finals.
1: (laughs) Right. Mercer Island. listener. The Mercer Island listener is gonna, gonna send me an angry I, text. I event. actually
0: heard I heard there there was the club baseball Newcastle club baseball the next day and there was like or no Mrs. Fantasy Genius was at a, a work event and like one of her coworkers had a kid or a nephew or whatever who played in the tournament and texted the dad of that kid and it was just like oh do you know this team and he was like I fucking hate Liberty Select they beat us <laughs> in the finals and I was just like yeah hell yeah well, the one I'm thing we so. have on Mercer Island.
1: Hopefully other AL teams are sending that text about Logan Gilbert, who was named AL Hello. Pitcher of the Month for March slash April after going 3-0 with a.40 ERA in the uh the first month plus of the season. Only
0: positive thing we have to say about the Mariners right now.
1: That's not the only positive thing we have to say about the Mariners because how about Julio Rodriguez's first career home run in Sunday's win over Miami started by Gilbert. Four hundred and fifty feet like he he crushed that ball and we know many, 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 many more to come for Julio. You're you're you
0: giving me a face on that one? I'm I'm pretty down right now. Down bad.
1: I mean I mean the Mariners it's not been great for them as a team, but Julio has not been the the problem, I don't think. Uh also Gabby plain the packed Maybe not. Has Gabby playing Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week for a second consecutive Hello. weekend, fourth time this Baby season. Baby fantasy after a pair of genius wins style.
0: Three, against three
1: scoreless against Elevate? Uh, more than three. More than three for her. Uh, lastly, some some exciting news for uh, the people in the uh, South King County. Dick's Drive-In Restaurants has announced that its ninth location is coming to Federal Way in 2023. At the commons. Which there will already be basically is a location in federal
0: way. This is actually. No, this is fucking bullshit. In fact, I'm not happy about this at all. What does Renton have to do? I swear to God. What does Renton have to do to get a Northwest style? We've got taco times, right? We have the fucking headquarters of the most important Northwest business. Don't, don't know that you actually have the headquarters anymore. They're still there. You think they moved? Are they? I, I feel so. like they moved. Your mom moved. The <laughs> What does Renton <laughs> have to do to get anything? Little Woodies, Dicks, Poliacci, fucking Cafe Vita. I don't care. A Beechers. I swear to god. How does rent Federal Way, Kent and Federal Way, Midway? Ooh, I am not a- I'm, gonna be- I'm like waking children up with this. I am mad. <laughs> oh no. What do we, seriously, seriously, Renton is the perfectly placed location. It is right in between the east side and the south side. It is right there, right there. It is ahead of the fucking curve and can't get a goddamn Dix.
1: I mean, the good news is Dix has expanded pretty regularly over several years here. You know what?
0: You know where you finished in Seattle's best burger? Fucking last, (laughs) Dix. You lost to (laughs) everybody.
1: The Fabulous Podcast does not endorse
0: these opinions. God damn. All of them. Every single one of these burger chains, except for Kid Valley. That's the only fucking burger chain that has the balls to come to Renton, Washington. <laughs> <sighs> Kid Valley it. wins. It is number one. And Seattle's best burger.
1: Renton's Ren, best burger,
0: you mean? And Ivers. Right, time to get fine people at Ivers. Oh, I'm mad. Associated. Federal way. I'm telling you, what is the difference? Seriously. The midway location of the federal location, what are they gonna be fucking three minutes apart? I mean, I think there was a
1: story at one point that they might have to close the Kent location because of the future of Light Rail if they expand that. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if it's related to that.
0: Alright, if if that's the case, I do not rescind any of these comments. But <laughs> but I I will at least understand why. If if it isn't look, if it's the people of midway washington i i understood your it camp but it's in midway right yes the people of midway washington if they're losing a Dix because of light rail and that and I, makes is moving to federal way
1: i've I, seen an update I, on that in a long period of time i don't know if that's actually if that is me. the they case not, it was not in the news in story.
0: the same way that i personally would like a basketball team to return to seattle the fine people of dicks again this is under assuming this is the case the fine people of Dix, they rectify the situation. David Stern, Adam Silver. No rectification? Not yet. Not yet. Promises were made. Promises were not kept. And I don't know if, don't know if promises were made. <sighs> implications were made. Renton Washington. Tons of tons of room. Tons of room for a Dix. I would be there. Right, I'm just telling you right now that would be their number one fucking location. Sir McSmott I mean, would like... write another fucking song about it. Like <laughs> it is it would do you you recognize how much a Dixon Renton would pop off, right? Yeah, I I recognize that. I mean, I feel like
1: you should maybe like rally the local community. This should be actually a uh something
0: you work on. I've thought about about challenging Armando Pavone. <laughs> I technically live in unincorporated King (laughs) County because that's the only place I can't live somewhere that's incorporated. If you're born in unincorporated King County, you have to live in unincorporated King County for the rest of your life. (laughs) That is. Are you incorporated? Are you in Seattle? Seattle. You're you're in Seattle. (laughs) Wow. It's full on Seattle. Offensive. Offensive. You have (laughs) numerous plentiful Dick's locations. Uh, not really in West Seattle. <laughs> yeah, you should be angry about this we're, also. We're actually quite far away from Dex. Who's the lot of Dicks in West Seattle?
1: It seems like an I mean, I don't know the you know, the there might not be the right real estate in West Seattle for them. Oh
0: I, I think they could figure it out. At least you get a palliaci. I I definitely and do a, a little woody's close enough,
1: right? Yeah, Lil Woody's not technically in West Seattle, but nearby. I'm head, planning to head there tomorrow for their uh uh they've got like adobo chicken sandwiches that actually looked very very good i'm excited to try it uh melissa miranda of Musong is behind that one so kind of an honorary (sighs) uh
0: seattle burger month i would say ren's not good enough it's fucking bullshit
1: let's get to our usual roundup starting with a segment that we are going to say farewell with today (laughs) as uh is the listener and third belton brother nate Tager put it Uh, The underwhelming Seattle chef, no more on Uh top, chef. Uh, The quickfire last week was to make a monochromatic vegetable dish, which was up Luke's alley. He drew purple and roasted purple cauliflower, got an honorable mention from uh, Padma Lakshmi, the host who was really trying to bolster his confidence after some rough performances. The elimination challenge then asked chefs to reflect soul inspired by their family and sense of home. And Luke decided to make fricadella, Danish-style flat meatballs based on his mom's meatloaf. Judges agonized over the decision before eliminating him because his meatballs were somewhat dry. Ugh. And then in Last Chance Kitchen...
0: Dry meatballs. There's nothing worse. Although, I, right now, I would eat those meatballs. Oh,
1: I, I mean, I don't think they were bad. All of, all of these... Uh, meals were quite good it seemed Uh, in last chance kitchen Luke made roasted cauliflower again with a kale and cauliflower puree and coriander cream sauce losing to Sarah who's been on a run of six consecutive wins since being eliminated early from top chef thus ending his top chef journey dang you don't make friends with cauliflower apparently
0: (sighs) I love that he went back to the cauliflower well (laughs) I mean it wasn't bad necessarily it wasn't a problem
1: with that, it's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you.
0: Okay, I, I didn't write these out. I didn't Roger Ebert style. I uh, want to do a takedown on the Mariners yet. But as you mentioned, I've been home for the last eight days locked in my house. I think I've left the house one time. And every single day I wake up, I go to sleep. sit at this little stupid desk and the only thing that i have to look forward to each day is when professional sports start (laughs) and the reviewing of the toby mcguire (laughs) spider-mans and (laughs) every single day over these eight days i have woken up i turn on the mariners and they have done absolutely nothing i have watched Inning after inning, I probably watched more innings of baseball in this last week than I have in the previous decade of my entire life. This is Mariners baseball, mind you. I've watched a lot of children's baseball. Uh, the I in my entire uh, more innings of Mariners baseball in this last week than I have watched in my entire sorry, I got lost. <laughs> oh no, oh no, this is
1: this, this may not be your flu game.
0: I have watched more innings in this last week of Mariners baseball than I have watched in the last decade of my life. And during that time period, I have seen less hits than I saw in maybe one Mariners game in 1995. You remember the game. We were there. Uh, Mariners-Yankees, I think they dropped an 18 bomb on them. The Mariners in this last time that I've had COVID have not scored that many runs. I wake up in the morning. I turn on the Mariners. I see no hits, not a nay hit to be called for. The the most exciting moment that I saw in that entire time period was J.P. Crawford stepping up, hitting a home run, foul. Then coming up for the next at-bat, hitting a ball that looked like a bomb and was a a casual pop-out to second base. Watching this Mariners team has been the worst part of having covid Second, second, maybe only to the uh, uh, chicken strips and Texas toast basket from Dairy Queen. Yeah, I was going to say. But I have not seen anybody phone it in as much as the Mariners have since Sam Raimi's direction on Spider-Man 3. This has been the worst possible week to pay attention to every single inning of the Mariners. And as if COVID wasn't bad enough, I had to watch what's nine times, eight 72, 72 innings of terrible, terrible baseball. So sorry. I'm not that excited about this one Julio Rodriguez home run because I have seen the most Jared Kellenick outs, the worst Matt Brash pitching. I have seen the worst of baseball as it can be. And as you would say, as the groundskeepers would say in Major League Two, they're still shitty.
1: Wow. Well, that was quite something. So since we last potted <laughs> the Mariners, have gone one was, in seven.
0: I, I had to read an important email. They lost four
1: straight at Tampa and Miami before winning the season series finale against the Marlins with that Rodriguez home run and Gilbert on the mound, then got swept in Houston to drop below 500 in the season. Although their run differential still plus eight, very much anti the 2021 Mariners. Uh, Julio, not really the problem. No, a better option either Adam Frazier or Jesse Winker, and obviously Kelnick, who went one for sixteen on the road trip and is down to one twenty-seven on the season batty average, four eighty ops. And ha- uh, also brutal luck for Machaniger, who had COVID, came back, then on Friday suffered a grade two high ankle sprain of his right ankle and was placed on the injured list. Uh, Jeff Stotts of Roto Air reported that a six-week timetable. Is typical for such injuries, but in happier news, Kyle Lewis began a rehab assignment for the Rainiers on Tuesday and homeward in his first at bat. He hadn't played in the game since last May when he suffered a meniscus tear. Rainer's still going to stay patient with his rehab, with his long-term health in mind. Seattle Kraken wrapped up the season, got a 3-0 shutout win in their home finale Friday against the San Jose Sharks, just the third shutout in franchise history. Then they threatened their lottery position by leading Sunday's otherwise meaningless makeup game at Winnipeg before going ahead and losing 4-3, which left them with the third worst record entering the draft lottery, which will be held next Tuesday on ESPN. Kraken will have an 11.5% chance at the number one pick. Because the NHL draws only for the top two picks, it turns out. This is what I've discovered. They can pick no worse than fifth, and they're you most said likely out- the NHL
0: was better at this, than the NBA.
1: The odds for the t- worst teams of getting the number one pick are not as high, but you are guaranteed a slightly higher pick. Uh, the most likely outcome is fourth, with a forty-one percent chance of that. If they'd won on Sunday, the odds of the top pick would have dropped to nine point five percent, and they would have had a chance to drop as far as sixth. In the lottery so that was a, a very fortunate loss on sunday uh oh well rain we talked about this earlier Uh, A pair of matches against the Washington Spirit in the past week at Audi Field, a 2-1 loss Sunday in the regular season opener. Rose Lavelle had an early penalty saved, did score to equalize in the 53rd minute before the Spirit got the winning goal from Ashley Hatch set up by Trinity Rodman in in the 66th minute as Washington had 12 shots on goal to just three for the rain. Three days later, the team's right back at it again in the same spot because uh, as we discussed last week, uh, the the Rain were unable to host the NWSL Challenge Cup semifinals, which they'd earned that right because of the fact that unfortunately the Sounders match was taking place on the same night at Lumen Field. Uh, still, Rain held the spirit the entire way, probably had the better of the opportunities this time. They had eight shots on goal to five for Washington. And then, on literally the last kick of the game, a Washington defender committed a handball on Megan Rapinoe's corner kick shortly after Rapinoe came on for her season debut primarily to take a penalty. But there's no VAR in NWSL. So the referee missed it and that was it. We were just on the penalties.
0: There's no, why can't we get NWSL VAR?
1: It's funny, I saw it, like I looked this up in the first column, I saw it said, don't bring VAR to NWSL, which look, I I get the problems with replay review. Uh, The entire Celtics Bucks second half on Tuesday seemed to be taken up by replay reviews, but that's exactly the situation. Like when it's a clear and obvious error and it's that crucial a moment in the match, because, you know, in soccer, one goal is very, very important. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, I think that's why you got to have it.
0: What was the moment for the NBA? There, there was a shot that shouldn't have been counted in the final or not in the playoffs in like the early two thousands, late nineties. Uh, there was one, I
1: think in, I want to say like 2003. And that's when they started reviewing the shots at the end of games.
0: Yeah. Who, who was it? Was it, I thought it was Chris Weber or something like that, but. I don't think it was Chris Weber. Might've been Garnett though.
1: That is a good question. Trent Tucker uh, had a famous one. That was the uh, the point three seconds. This is before the actual uh, use of replay. But uh, that we was definitely a think
0: Vinny Testaverdi was a, a big factor for the NFL replay, right?
1: According to Wikipedia, Samaki Walker made a three from half court at the end of the second quarter in the Western Conference Finals in 2002. That shouldn't have counted. And then it came in after in bore the 2002-03 season. So not a game-winning shot or losing. Oh,
0: man, I remember a game-winning playoff shot that didn't.
1: All right, so back to this one. Penalties, we uh, were, were talking on the phone during this. Teams both converted their first seven attempts each, setting up sudden death. Uh, Rain goalkeeper Fallon Tullis-Joyce saved the eighth Washington oh. attempt, but then the Spirit <clears throat> saved Nicole Stanton's shot and then in the 10th round, Jess Fishlock's penalty was saved. She was the last uh, field player to attempt a, a penalty. How was just
0: Fishlock, Fishlock who lost the match?
1: Yeah, the, the last year's NWSL MVP apparently is just very bad at penalties. I didn't realize this, but she was in the 10th spot uh, and, met, and had it saved, sending the Spirit to the Challenge Cup Finals. Uh, obviously... Between the combo of having to play on the road. Who's is the a, a player favorite. who has
0: like everything, but just like, can't do this, like one kind of important piece. Shaquille O'Neal. The free throws. Yeah, I, I it is.
1: I mean, it's weird because I, I mean, I guess, you know, just fish like doesn't way score a ton of goals. So it's not like shooting is a big element of her success, but it is very odd because usually you would think it's like, oh, it's a defender who can't two penalties and somehow the spirit have a goalkeeper who takes penalties it was like <laughs> in their top five for their rotation that was remarkable
0: Je- uh, Jess fishlock was the nwsl mvp last year yes just didn't score as a defender
1: no i mean she's like a midfielder she's a playmaking midfielder
0: okay that's pretty weird
1: it is i i don't know i, I may need to read up on her history of penalty taking
0: i did not realize that was Jess fishlock wow well, yeah, thankfully Roman Torres can do it
1: <laughs> <laughs> there it is so obviously a hard look combination for the rain between having to play on the road the missed penalty losing that deep in penalties but the good news is they can just say that NWSL Challenge Cup isn't that important we're, <laughs> we're saving up for the uh, NWSL playoffs
0: I mean, well, it's then, probably not that important. <laughs> like,
1: it, it is financially they they could have stood to make a fair amount by winning. But, yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I think it's very important for NWSL players. Also, it would have been a nice nice for the uh, team to host the NWSL final on Saturday. But
0: well, maybe the Sounders should have fucking thought about it. And I think it's move more their than... match to Mexico.
1: I don't. I don't think that would have been a good choice. Seattle Storm getting ready to uh, tip off the season on Friday. Uh, Finally, got their full complement of players when Breon January and Gabby Williams joined practice on Monday after winning a championship in Hungary to go along with the EuroLeague title that they had previously led Chopron Basket to the uh, first in club history, uh, not the first Hungarian championship. That's much more common for them. And uh, then following that, the storm cut down to 11 on Wednesday, keeping Rashonda Gray, who they signed, uh, is a a four-year WNBA veteran, but she was out there as a free agent, signed her on Monday with only a couple of days of practice before this cut-down date. For the last spot, ahead of holdovers, Kennedy Burke, who is still playing overseas, and Kiki Herbert Harrigan, and second-round pick, Avina Westbrook. I asked Noelle Quinn about the decision to bring in Gray on Monday, and she said it was really just about needing depth in the post because Mercedes Russell, who is in Seattle, was at Monday's practice, but uh, merely in street clothes after she had surgery at the start of training camp or right ahead of the start of training camp. So without her in the lineup, they felt they needed more post depth and went with Rashonda Gray. Uh, You know, as someone who could could offer that. I I think Avina Westbrook was really impressive in training camp as a second round pick, and I think she's got an excellent chance if she doesn't catch on with another WNBA team, I think she'll probably be back at some point, whether it's when Mercedes Russell comes back and maybe you don't need that post depth as much, or, you know, the storm is currently only has enough room under the cap to keep 11 players. But when you get to the last quarter of the season, basically, they'll have enough cap space to sign a player like Westbrook, making the rookie minimum uh, as a 12th player. So definitely keep an eye on the possibility of her coming back.
0: Well, I think just generally speaking, what is the anticipation for for the Storm this year? Do they go in as one of the favorites in the Western Conference? You know, understanding that it's presumably Sue last season. Like, what are the chances that she goes out as champion?
1: Well, I don't feel as good about them as when I boldly predicted it in 2021, because wow. I, mean, I had a little higher hopes for free agency than ended up materializing. If I'm being honest, uh, they are tied for the third best championships odds at Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill at plus 500. So that's, you know, implying about a one in six chance of winning the championship this year. Uh, first off the conferences don't matter except for the WNBA's commissioner's cup, which the storm won last season. Uh, so it's not necessarily in the conference Chicago and Connecticut are the two teams I look at as the favorites right now. Chicago is the defending champs who actually probably got better over the offseason, although they're, they were much better in the playoffs. They were only the, I think they were the sixth seed going into the playoffs.
0: Elena Deladon.
1: No, that's she posed for Washington. She is back this season uh, after she, I think, Played two games last season, one of which came against the storm in a game that they won in DC. Uh, but Washington's still probably not, you know, remains to be seen how healthy Deladon is gonna be. Who's the Chicago uh, star? Candace Parker. Oh. And then Courtney Vandersloot, the uh, Kent Native. Oh. Also Did she got
0: drafted by the Sky?
1: Yeah, she's played her entire career in Chicago.
0: So bring her home. Okay.
1: That's 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 the hope. That's the plan. Uh I think those are the two favorites. Vegas is the other team that has is tied for the best championship odds at Caesar Sportsbook. Although I don't know if that's a homer thing, Vegas lost Liz Cambage. I don't think they're quite as good as last season or even Still the team two years, years ago. Is starting
0: point guard, though.
1: Well, she was the sixth player last year, uh, so I I don't know. We'll see who's the guard that they have. Chelsea Gray is their their starting point guard.
0: That's the case of me.
1: I don't think that they have another notable guard that you would know.
0: When I play two K, I feel like there's another.
1: Rukana Williams. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who you're thinking of.
0: The Aces are definitely my number two two K team.
1: Okay, because of Kelsey Plum.
0: Oh, I mean, for sure, and also just being in Vegas. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if the storm didn't exist, it would be a pretty natural transition.
1: Let's not even contemplate that possibility. So I think those are the top four teams. I mean, you've also got, again, Washington, if Deladon is healthy. Phoenix was probably going to be my championship pick after they added Tina Charles to Brittany Greiner, Diana Taurasi, and Skylar Diggins-Smith. But, of course, Greiner remains in a prison in Russia, now classified, is uh, wrongly held there by the U.S. government. So we'll see if that makes any traction.
0: What is the status of the U.S. working to... Get Brittany Greiner out. Like, is there any progress on that?
1: I mean, I don't think we're gonna get like updates on what kind of progress there is until it happens.
0: Honestly, this is not a big enough story.
1: Well, so one of the reasons it's not been a big story is that initially the, fear, in
0: the entire world is fucked, but
1: initially the fear from those close to Griner was that by publicizing it, it was actually going to hurt her cause by making it more of a political issue than a legal issue in Russia. And now with that change of classification from the government, uh, I, I think it does change the strategy. And now there will probably be a lot more attention on this story going okay. forward. So that's been kind of, that was kind of strategic. So if Greiner is released at some point and was able to play, obviously it's a much bigger deal, her personal freedom than what it means for the WNBA playoff race. Yes. But all of a sudden that would be totally changed things for Phoenix's standpoint. So, I mean, there's a lot of teams that could potentially be in the mix. I mean, you look back to last year, you know, again, the finals were Chicago versus Phoenix. Neither of those two teams uh, had a buy back when the top four teams got buys, including the storm. So all of those teams, the top four teams during the regular season got knocked off ahead of the finals. And you know, some of those teams got better, so I think it's it's going to be a really interesting, wide open WNBA season. And the other thing, with from the Storms' perspective, they <gasps> are tw- twelve and two in the last fourteen games, Brianna playoff games. Brianna Stewart has played, okay, winning to both of the championships, and you Brianna know, they, Stewart
0: was not there in the playoffs last season.
1: Yeah, last year she had the foot injury that she eventually had Achilles surgery and missed the entire offseason. But she's a hundred percent now, looked awesome in the preseason, uh, you know, is, is very much back to who she is. And I, I think the other thing to watch for the storm this season, the key player I mentioned, Gabby Williams, uh, they traded Katie Lou Samuelson in a first round pick to get her didn't play in the WNBA last year because of the fact that she was late to training camp and she was suspended for the year by Chicago and then subsequently traded to Los Angeles and then traded again to Seattle. She was MVP of the EuroLeague Final Four. Uh, just playing at a much higher level overseas than she had at any point beforehand. And, you know, hasn't really like put it all together in the WNBA, but the hope is going to be, this is going to be the year playing with her former UConn teammates, Dewey.
0: Okay. Uh, do we think I, sorry, I'm on a different, different train here. Do you think that given everything players are not going to be playing in Russia anymore? Yeah, it
1: seems very unlikely that they will. Play I mean, I in would
0: Russia. fucking go there, right? Like if you're Brittany Griner and you're being held unlawfully, Like,
1: I mean, I think the thing is it, it, many players have said this, it could have been anyone, you know, it was just a matter of timing that Greiner was coming back into the country at a period of time where relations between Russia and the U S were deteriorating ahead of the invasion of Ukraine. So, you know, it's a, a terrible situation and no, I don't think that players will be going to play in Russia anytime soon.
0: I mean, I do think that this is – it's a very unique time period where we're looking at – obviously, Russia was the biggest money outside of the U.S. for WNBA players.
1: Not outside of the U.S. Russia was the biggest money.
0: Well, yeah, I guess – but I'm saying literally outside of the U.S.
1: But I'm saying it's more money than they make in the U.S., so it's not outside of the
0: U.S. Sure, fair enough.
1: It's the biggest money anyway
0: there's the new rules that surround whether you can play outside of the U S right. And be able to come back.
1: I mean, you can still play. You just have to be back by the start of next year. It's by the start of the regular season. You're actually playing
0: in the EuroBasket playoffs. Is that right? The Euro
1: league actually wraps up much earlier. It's the domestic leagues, but they, they all end at very different times. So some leagues are still going on until late May, And other leagues have been wrapped up for several weeks here. So kind of the WNBA's hope, I think, has been that players may still go, but those leagues will just kind of adjust their schedule to better so that players aren't missing the WNBA season.
0: I I, I think it makes sense to a certain extent. I'm against the rule, but I do think because ultimately, it it sort of feels like almost NCAA-like where it's like, Look, we're not going to pay you enough. We understand you're going to leave to go do this thing, but we don't want to let you do that thing, right? We don't want to have to bear the brunt of the responsibility of paying you more. So that, that part feels a little bit NCAA-like. But ultimately, I think rallying around the WNBA right now with how the league is shaping up, the amount of stars that exist in the WNBA at the moment, I mean, you're talking about every single team. Every single team you bring up has one star or another, Right. There's a lot of transactions that are happening. This is a monster season for the WNBA. And I do think it makes sense to say, like, look, the WNBA is the most important league in the world, whether you're getting paid more anywhere else or not. This is the most important league. And we need to rally around it in that way. Uh, and I don't know, you know, maybe there's not going to be a Michael Jordan of the WNBA. But I do think we're kind of looking at like 70s NBA in the WNBA, where you look around, you're just like, these teams are fucking loaded with stars right? So many teams are loaded with stars and every single game is going to be an exciting game on the schedule. So I, I get it. And I do think that this is going to be such a huge year and knowing that the storm are going to be competitive, especially with the lingering possibility of Sue retiring and Courtney VanderSloot coming to town. Like it's, <laughs> it's going to be an ongoing story to pay attention to. I
1: don't know if anyone else is talking about Courtney VanderSloot coming to town except us. We're we're getting out ahead of this story. Or Not that many teams are talking about A-Rod
0: moving the T-Wolves here, but (laughs) somebody has to have the conversation.
1: Not even this entire podcast is talking about that. Only half of this (laughs) podcast. You see these
0: colors that I'm wearing right here?
1: (laughs) You are wearing fluid grid. It's true. Uh, So Friday night, the uh, Lynx in their opener, they'll be without their star forward, Nafisa Collier, who's currently expecting... Uh, uncertain if she'll play at all this season, as well as starters Demiris Dantes, who is still working back from a Lisfranc injury last season, and Kayla McBride, who is overseas playing in Turkey. Uh, but we'll have veteran center Sylvia Fowles, who has announced this will be her final WNBA season in a storied uh, career. Sunday, Storm play their first road game at Las Vegas. That one will be at, on ESPN 2 at Hello. 7 p.m. on Sunday.
0: What you need to do, you, I, I'll fly to Vegas. <laughs> All you need to do is you just watch my children for the weekend. Why don't I fly to Vegas? What? Why don't I fly to Vegas? You haven't just recovered from COVID. It would be dangerous for you. <laughs> it would be a dangerous situation. I'll stay at the, where do they play? Mandalay Bay? Yep. I won't stay there, but I, I, I'll just fly in a couple of days, two or three days in Vegas. I'll go to the game. I'll report back. Watch my children. We'll be good.
1: I, I'm still not sure which part I, of this I win.
0: You get the, on the ground, right? You've, have you been to a a game? I have, game at I have been Bay? to a Aces game, yes. Not this season. Not this season. <laughs> not against the think, Storm. I, think I it's they, important. Look, I'll go to Momofuku or, or to... um Yeah, I'll go to Momofuku. Major, major Domo. The Major Domo is the one that's in the... Venetian. I'll go to both and yeah. report back. And I think I think it's an important intel for this podcast to get. So I I just all you need to do there's three of them. It's fine. They've got a lot of baseball games this weekend, but you can get them to all of them. Okay, you just get them to all the baseball games. Be supportive. Be supportive. What am I when watching? The NBA playoff games in this. You 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 have a phone, don't you? <laughs> so, look. That's all I'm asking. I'll be there. You just what get here Friday early. Okay.
1: I'm, I can't be there on Friday. The storm play on Friday. Remember <laughs> first game at climate Fletcher, Arena, you
0: know? like 10 a.m. Friday. We're
1: good. We're it's good. Been, it's been the one thing I've, I've been looking Just forward call, to.
0: Call Jan, call Jan, tell her she had a great time at Paul McCartney. Call Jan, tell her Friday. That's her responsibility. After that, you've got them. So tell her Tristan and Keelan are going to be in Vegas. And, <laughs> Uh, you need to watch the children and take them to many, many baseball games, oh, but, uh, baseball games. but don't worry. Don't worry. Tristan's going to report back on how good the major Domo and Venetian is. I've
1: already been there. I've reported <laughs> it on the pod. Uh, <laughs> UW softball oh, God. earned another pack 12 sweep against number 21 Stanford, allowing just one <laughs> run in three games. Gabby playing a four hitter in a complete game on Friday with Madison Husky homering twice. On Saturday, Kelly Lynch and Pat Moore teamed up for the shutout, and Olivia Johnson homered for the first time since April 1st to provide the necessary support. Then Plane gave up one run on Sunday, but struck out nine in a 3-1 win. On Monday, I like see
0: Davis Mills do that, Ben.
1: <laughs> on Monday, the Huskies beat Utah Valley nine to one behind three hits, four RBI from Bailey Klingler, another Johnson home run, and Kelly Lynch started and struck out 16 in six innings. There minutes. we go. The Huskies have now won 11 consecutive games, moving up to number 10 in the rankings. Ooh. They'll put that all on the line this weekend at Utah, tied for last in the Pac-12 at six and
0: 12. We gotta get to a UW softball game, also. We do. I just when I stop having COVID, I'm going everywhere.
1: <laughs> Vegas, UW softball, <laughs>
0: everywhere. One of those is a little bit more convenient.
1: UW basketball transfer news. We start on the women's side, where Garfield product Delia Daniels is transferring from Cal to UW. The McDonald's All-America pick averaged 35.2 minutes per game for Cal as a true freshman in 2020-21, Pussy 11.9 points per game and 6.7 rebounds per game. Playing time dropped to just 21.2 minutes per game last season, but still Daniels rated better than any returning UW player in my metrics based on her excellent steal and block rates. She'll have three years of eligibility. So exciting. I mean, you know, it's like, not that they haven't had good players. Uh, Nancy Mulkey, who was in camp with the Aces last year. They haven't really had a homegrown star, I think, since the end of the, you know, plum era when they had, uh, I want to say Amira Williams and uh, uh, who's Otelia oh, Walton from Kennedy. They were both from Kennedy or no, Talia Walton I, was from Federal Way. Amira Williams was from Kennedy. Wow. They haven't a had
0: Kennedy player who actually played well. Like they haven't I'll had homegrown them.
1: stars in well, we're going to get to a Kennedy player who played well in the spring game. Actually, both of them did, but, uh, or two of them did. I, I don't know if Saville Smalls played, but it's been a long time since there's been like a Seattle star. It's very exciting. He did. Yeah. On the men's basketball side, Emmett Matthews, Jr. announced he's transferred back to West Virginia. Or pulling the full hater uh, is <laughs> fabulous. Fun quotes mentioned on Twitter.
0: Full hater. It's
1: hard it's like you're saying about making places whole. It's hard to begrudge someone for transferring back where they started. No,
0: fuck it. I I saw it and was like, all right, fine. I can respect it. Yeah. The
1: Huskies did add a prayer of transfer centers. Oregon's six foot eleven funk Kepnong and seven foot-one Braxton Mia from Fresno State. Kepnong, who averaged 15, 14.5 minutes per game off the bench for the ducks last season. Looks like an ideal fit for Mike Hopkins' zone. He blocked nine percent of opponent two-point Which attempts is to say last he doesn't season. Shoot threes. Oh, <laughs> I mean, no, an ideal
0: is... fit for Mike Hopkins' zone.
1: It's defensively. They play the zone defensively, but not either of these guys shoot threes uh, even remotely.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, we we know. Look, it's been a few years. We get it.
1: Keptong well, is a little weak as a defensive rebounder. Not very skilled with the ball. You have thirty-one turnovers against two assists last season. <laughs> But uh, 57.5% two-point shooter who will have three years of eligibility. As well, Mia, who made 71% of his two-point attempts in two years with the Bulldogs, but couldn't get on the court much behind Orlando Robinson, who could be a second-round pick in the NBA draft, totaling just 476 minutes in his two years at Fresno State. Uh, his 6.2 fouls per 40 minutes were an issue. Also, just a 43% career foul shooter. So. That uh, that could be an issue. Uh, UW football played their spring preview to cap off spring practice on Saturday. I watched about two-thirds of this on the Pac-12 network. Uh, It was really defensive early, four consecutive stops by the defense to start the scrimmage before the offense got going. Uh, There was a series of field goals. Then uh, Aaron Dumas scored the uh, game's opening touchdown on a Sam Heward-led drive. Uh, that was the only touchdown I saw. They scored a little bit more late. Uh, Heward, according to Mike Varell of the Seattle Times, finished 12 of 19 for 176 167 yards and a touchdown to Junior Alexander, his former Kennedy teammate, who uh, was the day's leading receiver. That's the name,
0: Liniata Junior Alexander. Correct. Okay.
1: De DeBoer called it one of Heward's best days afterwards, uh, especially by contrast to the previous week's scrimmage where he had struggled. That's a little uh,
0: loaded. Okay, Kaelin.
1: Michael Penix Jr. went 13 of 19 for 209 yards with a touchdown, but threw a pair of interceptions, including a really nice play from Alex Cook to a cover ground when Penix is probably a little late getting the ball out to an open receiver. Uh, it was a tougher day for Dylan Morris, who completed only three of 12 passes for 53 Oof. yards. Okay. I mean, I still feel like Penix is the favorite to start, but uh, exciting to see Heward play that well, certainly. I mean, Mm -hmm. you
0: you really have to look at this as uh, there's no real favorite, like understanding these three quarterbacks and where they come from, you know, Sam Heward having the pedigree, Michael Penix having the experience and, and the success with Kalen DeBoer and then Dylan Morris having some of the success with, and also being a highly recruited player, Dylan Morris having the success with UW, like across the board, I think we go into fall camp after this and say it is a wide open race still, and
1: I mean, I still think there's probably a, at least a 50% chance that Panix ends up the starter.
0: But if, let's say that it is close between Penix and Sam Heward, you have to give it to Sam Heward as somebody who has years of eligibility left. Like, as somebody yeah. who you give them the ability to develop. I, I personally am really excited about this as... Uh, the more time that Sam Heward has to develop with Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer, I think is a huge deal. You know, like the goal is ultimately to develop him into an NFL caliber quarterback to a first round pick. And this feels like the first step, you know, like he's actually having real coaching and a real system around him. So I think it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, certainly it's better structure than there was last season. Uh I, the disappointment of this was the, uh, the run game, and they only had two healthy running backs. Dumas and uh, JV on Sunday were the only healthy running backs for this one. But it was no more productive than it was last season, and obviously that really starts with the offensive line where I think they were reasonably effective pass blocking in this game, in this scrimmage, but uh, the run blocking was not much better. Although it's, it's the eternal question with spring games, was it good, uh, good defense or bad offense, or vice versa? Like you never know whether the results are, are positive for the team or not until you see them play against another team.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't, I just wouldn't take too much from it.
1: Uh, did see a couple of players place their names in the transfer portal prior to Sunday's deadline. Running back Caleb Berry, uh, kind of no surprise with the additions of two incoming transfers at that position, and then cornerback Jacoby Covington, who was a highly touted recruit but had seen limited action at quarterback last season, uh, figured to play more with three starting cornerbacks all declaring for the draft, but uh, decided to uh, find a new home via the transfer portal.
0: Jacoby Covington in particular was a little bit disappointing and saw that he was, I think, meeting with USC coming up. uh, And he was somebody who seemed like UW was going to rely on this year a little bit or at least be in the mix for playing
1: uh, time. He was going to be in the mix for playing time. I wouldn't say rely on. I mean, Michael Powell has pretty clearly established himself as their number one corner. And then I think the transfer from UC Davis, uh, I want to say off the top of my head, DJ Perryman. Uh, I think he's probably the it other It really likely... sounds
0: like a quarterback's name. <laughs> it
1: does. It sounds like it checks out. I think he's established himself as the other outside starter, but you know the nickel was very much up for grabs and, you know, uh, Jordan Perryman is the, uh, you see that was transfer, yeah. uh, very much up for grabs. And, and then, you know, you're going to play, you're going to rotate multiple players through those positions. So there's, there's going to be opportunities for other guys. At yeah, those I, w- spots.
0: I was a little bit disappointed in Jacoby Covington and the transfer. And it made me just think to myself that I need to, uh, to go on the internet, message boards and protest. And rules.
1: Oh, oh, no, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: If one player transfers, I really wanted to lose my shit about it.
1: <clears throat> all of a
0: sudden, the player shouldn't be paid at all.
1: Yeah. It's, think that Especially when the, that.
0: when the name USC was invoked.
1: Oh, dear. Uh, so speaking of that, those cornerbacks declaring for the draft, we've not talked about the outcomes of the draft for the Huskies, really. We kind of alluded to this, but uh, Trent McDuffie going in the first round, number 21 overall to Kansas City. So A uh, situation where he'll probably get a chance to play pretty quickly, you would think. Kyler Gordon, the other cornerback, taken in the, the 39th pick by the Chicago Bears. Kate Otten goes in the fourth round to Tampa Bay, continuing the Buccaneers. We didn't see any, any NFC love, West love draft ZDub picks. But we did see a Tampa Bay one. And then uh, Senator Luke Wattenberg going to Denver with Russell Wilson as a fifth-round pick, number 171 overall. And then a handful of uh Huskies signing or at least going to do mini camp, rookie camps is undrafted free agents. Ryan Bowman also headed to Tampa Bay, where they've got plenty of huskies on that
0: defensive Ryan line. Ryan Bowman, he's gonna make that he will play, he'll be on the practice squad at least. Like Ryan Bowman is gonna see action for Tampa Bay. It like you could just, you can see it, right? Ryan Him Bowman opposite playing on the show
1: try on show you yes. can uh bookie radley hiles signed with is uh headed to cincinnati and then race porter will be part of the seahawks mini camp.
0: i really I, I mean obviously race porter not really going to push michael Dixon, but like bookie radley hiles with cincy too it's like man i could i could really see it the
1: last roster spot's going to come down to him and trey flowers at
0: quarter it it really felt like i i feel like these players ended up in the right places kind of across the board um I mean, the trip McDuffie pick going the first round of Kansas city where he'll have the ability to start seemingly pretty much right away and how they've built up their secondary. I thought that was pretty exciting. Yep.
1: All right. Let's wrap up by talking quickly about some Seahawks news since the draft. Uh, First off, we learned officially on Wednesday morning that the Seahawks will face Tampa Bay in Munich on November 13th in the first ever NFL regular season game in Germany. They'll be playing at uh, Alliance Arena, home of FC Bayern. Hello. Two FC Bayern references in today's pod. Uh, the Seahawks officially declined the fifth-year uh, uh, option on the rookie contract of LJ Collier. No surprise there, particularly with him being counted as a defensive end, I think. And, uh, you know, uh, the the average salary of players at that position, but also, you know, struggled to uh, see action and be active on game days last season. So, uh, yeah.
0: It's an important moment for people who defended the pick when it happened because for reasons of the Seahawks did it.
1: <laughs> the eternal reason.
0: We'll see. We'll see. There might be some more more uh, defenses of picks because of that reason coming up.
1: Uh, uh, in this year's draft, are we talking? I thought we weren't talking about this year's draft this
0: week. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. nobody, Nobody would have done that. Nobody would have loved the draft because... The Seahawks did it. They did the draft.
1: I mean, first of many outside people loved the draft. They just mean the forty-first pick.
0: I thought. I actually thought there was an interesting conversation about when you make the right picks based upon the situation. Is that a good draft or is that just an average draft?
1: Well, that gets back to like, should they have gotten an A for the Charles Cross pick? We and we discuss it, it also
0: this. i think the important piece for people to remember here is that none of the shit matters and it's stupid fucking bullshit grading drafts but <laughs> right it's just like dumb as hell but i i do think an important note to keep in mind is that the grades of drafts do not fucking matter at all and the judging even like the where players land in the big board doesn't actually matter because a running back can be in a good place at the big board and it's still a shitty pick. So the only thing that matters as far as drafts go is a luck by far the most important piece. And B, are you drafting important players and C if players in important positions and C, are you drafting a lot of players?
1: That's and it. D, that, are you drafting players from UW?
0: The, but drafts should basically just be judged based upon
1: you. Like the, I, I mean, I do think D is, are you reaching for players? Because there is statistical evidence that reaching for players does not work out on average. I, I suppose uh, ben so. Baldwin as long wrote as you're about-
0: drafting players at the right positions and the right quantity of players, like you could reach for players. But if ultimately, mm. if, if, if almost every single pick is a reach, but you're drafting players at premium positions and you're drafting a lot of them, you'll still hit on that shit.
1: I suppose, but you'd still hit more if you drafted those players at premium positions, and a lot of them weren't riches. Sure, yeah, so.
0: but but ultimately, the the most important thing to keep in mind is that this is what we talk about in May. Oh, about for sure. <laughs> and once we get to, in the same way that we talk about, like even like, like the odds or that we're going to talk
1: about Tariq Woolen that much in November are are very yes. very low.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's the same shit always. Like, we're, we're talking about when the thing is in the moment. We're talking about Julio Rodriguez, right? In training camp. And many people call that spring
1: training. We're we still the talking season. about Julio Rodriguez. Again, that home running hit was majestic.
0: Wow. Yeah. Also, but,
1: I had an amazing catch yesterday. I briefly flipped on the game. Amazing catch.
0: You well, briefly oh, flipped on the game. I'm watching all of the games.
1: Well, blowing a bubble with his bubble gum, it was very
0: Griffey-esque. And l- scoring zero runs in the game.
1: And then I searched zero. about this and discovered that there's a, there was a baseball card of Griffey where it yes. looks like he's blowing an enormous bubble with his bubble gum. But there was a, cons- like a, a deep dive into this and that it probably has to be a balloon because it's too perfectly symmetrical and too large to actually be a bubble gum bubble. Is the important things I'm learning on the internet. You just hate fun.
0: But uh, <laughs> it's it just, these I mean, you things to talk about right now. And ultimately, once the season starts, like if rookies matter that much, it's probably a problem for the team. If if you're relying that much on rookies and uh, especially where the Seahawks are drafting as well, and the types of players that the Seahawks are drafting, like Charles Cross will start. But if Charles Cross is that important of a player for the team, like. I Man, your left situation. tackle.
1: Left tackle, by definition, is going to be that important of a player.
0: It's still. I. I. I don't think that left tackle. I don't buy that left tackle is actually that much more important than any other position on the offensive line. Okay. I think that every position on the offensive line is important, and if you're really bad at one of them, it's going to matter. And I mean, the, the, the guys who position, get the most
1: sacks play opposite left
0: tackle. So I, sometimes they can move around. Left tackles don't move around that much, but those players can move around. And to me, the most important position is actually quarterback, in fact.
1: Oh, I do agree with that assessment.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, bold. Uh, take. if you don't have a good quarterback, you're probably not going to be a very good team. And the Seahawks didn't draft a quarterback, and they have Drew fucking Locke, so Charles Cross doesn't matter. Boye Mafe doesn't matter. Uh,
1: They also have Geno Smith. Oh, sorry. And Jacob Eason.
0: Jacob Eason. Abraham Lucas doesn't matter that much. None of these fucking players are equal and they can do everything that they want. They can be very, very good players and it won't fucking matter.
1: Uh, DK Metcalf was on the Club Shay Shay podcast with Shannon Sharpe and was asked about an, ex- an extension and said, I will say we are going to get something done. I think I'm going to be in Seattle for the next coming years. Yes, sir. So more indication that that, uh, that extension obviously wasn't traded that extension is going to uh, happen and it will probably be for a large amount of money.
0: It'll be for an appropriate amount of money.
1: For sure. But a large, a large, but appropriate amount of money in the nine figures in all likelihood. The
0: thing is when you set up a football season and you spend a bunch of money on wide receivers who really like to be thrown the ball in accurate places and you pair them with, Drew Locke or Geno Smith or Jacob Eason. It's just nothing can go wrong there. And that really is, I think, the most important piece about roster building is you go you just want to you want to skimp on the quarterback and spend on the wide receivers because you know what? DK Metcalf can go out and make plays wherever the ball is, but you know, a quarterback who's accurate sometimes they're not going to throw the ball to DK Metcalf. So
1: Bill will backed up my notion that DK Metcalf actually might be more valuable in a situation where you have a weaker quarterback.
0: I do. I do. You're still going to lose games. Maybe DK Metcalf okay. is more valuable. Sure. Like, whatever. Sure. You know, what would be more valuable than DK Metcalf and a weaker quarterback. Not DK Metcalf and a weaker Russell quarterback. Russell Wilson, Wilson would be more valuable than DK would, Metcalf. We don't need to
1: like. Not every discussion about the Seahawks needs to be a relitigating of the Russell Wilson trade. Like we
0: we're on the record. It could have been about drafting fucking Malik Willis. A lot of other teams passed on Malik Willis. It doesn't matter. A that doesn't lot. mean that they're right. You know how uh, who a lot of teams passed passed on?
1: They passed on Russell Wilson because he's short.
0: A little man named Russell Wilson, <laughs> and you know what that man's name was. <laughs> you know who else only had twelve followers at the draft? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, we've got to move I, on. I, I'm just, I'm just saying, if there's no quarterback, this whole draft that we're reviewing and rating or whatever and giving them positive grades on, doesn't matter.
1: Well, but the, as it turns out next season will probably not be the last season of Seahawks football in the history of the organization hopefully
0: hopefully it'll be the last season for some people in the Seahawks organization
1: <laughs> and if so if that Two is the case in particular then they've left players at positions yes. important positions for whoever succeeds them yes. if that is the case
0: running back in the second round i got it here <sighs> you
1: you don't have to be negative about everything ah.
0: Oh, even, yeah. you probably just be positive about the team that traded the greatest quarterback in franchises. Even
1: Ben was full on positive in his article for the Athletic on on Wednesday, whatever day this is now. W- one thing we do need to mention is John Schneider commenting, talking about Charles Cross on Thursday night, you uh, know, talking about how high character he was, and as part of that, mentioning that he came from a two parent family, and. I don't think that John Schneider intended anything by that, certainly, but it does, you know, our word choice matters. And I did have to wonder if I were a Seahawks player who was raised by a single parent, you know, does that mean that I my character is inherently worse because of the fact that that happened? Uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch is a Seahawks legend, notably, who was raised by his mother without his father in the picture. Uh, I, I really think that. John Schneider needs to be more thoughtful about his word choice, which is something that, you know, Mina Kimes has mentioned about the draft in, in other ways.
0: I didn't hear that. This was Thursday night at the draft?
1: Yeah. I think it was Mike Baker of the uh, New York Times who highlighted that first on Twitter and someone someone sent that to us, but I, I've also seen it mentioned a few other places since then.
0: Definitely not not the right way to even approach these conversations. I think it's mostly just like it's more than a word choice conversation. It's an understanding how John Schneider and Pete Carroll are viewing players, which is if you're making decisions about who these players are based upon whether they're coming from a one parent or two parent family, you're approaching it wrong. And And I don't think, I don't
1: think they are making decisions that way. I don't think there's any indication that they all, why is
0: it a conversation then? Why even bring it up? And that's,
1: that's what I'm saying is I, I don't think there's any reason to bring it up. Like his character is his character and his
0: I, I mean we could even there are plenty there are plenty of people with,
1: who come from two parent homes who have extremely bad character
0: we can litigate even further and understand where the cx come from in this idea of character which they've been pretty inconsistent on uh and they're For sure they're players who they've said that they've done the research on or whatever which has meant nothing like the reality is that it's impossible to judge somebody's character. It's impossible to judge somebody's character based upon knowing them for thousands upon thousands of hours. The idea that the CX can meet with these players one or two times and understand what their character is, is pretty offensive. And so looking at these weird points, such as coming from a two parent family, is it's it's a racist perspective, right? Like we understand that at its core, that if that is a thing that is important to them, and that's a thing that they're even bothering to highlight, we know Deep at its core, that it is a racist perspective that they're talking about, uh, and any under like any description of it in any other way is wrong, because the fact that they would even go out of their way to highlight that is is an incorrect way of viewing it. But it's also probably inconsistent based upon how they have built the roster. Otherwise, like it, it's just a, a deeply strange thing to say. Agree. Oh, I so. I just I, I very little faith in both the organization and the nfl at large and how i mean we've seen some of these there was a few tweets highlighting like the diverse makeup in some of these front offices and their scouting departments uh, <clears throat> the indiana indianapolis colts in particular and just seeing like how white those organizations are and how much it's an organization that is going through and quote-unquote scouting a lot of predominantly black players and trying to understand who they are as people outside of the football field. And I think that that is something that as an organization and as probably for the most part, privileged white people, they cannot understand, right? Like understanding the background and the diverse makeup of NFL players is something that imparting your own personal experiences on As again, if you're ending up in an NFL front office, the chances of you being a privileged white person are probably pretty high and or at the very least, like, I mean, again, coming from a background of, you know, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for here of where your parents are part of something. nepotism. Nepotism. Yeah, and uh, like that is the, again, it's an extraordinarily high. Like nepotism is built in; it's caked in to football. Doesn't but, have to
1: be. Doesn't have to be your parents, by the way. You know what the term nepotism comes from?
0: Whatever. What What does it come from?
1: It comes from popes would appoint their nephews because they didn't have children.
0: Sure. <laughs> uh, but That's family, why it's nep- family, like friends, nephew. nephews, children, etc. Right. All of those things. Right. The, the the nepotism that exists around the NFL is almost like it's a bonus right? It's part of it. And all of these things, I think, contribute back to the deeply wrong ways that front offices view and judge NFL players and can understand these things through prejudice and the prejudice that they have and are not able to understand on a personal level or even identify. I I don't think we want
1: to say that someone like, obviously, there's a difference between hearing someone's experience and actually experiencing something that none of us as white people can understand the experience of black people in this country, but there's a difference between if you're listening and trying to understand that perspective as opposed to just trying to push your perspective
0: on others. I, I mean, I, again, I hadn't heard about this before. And so I'm, I'm, I don't want to like push too hard on it, but I think that John Schneider is probably telling us that he doesn't understand this perspective in the same way that they've told us over and over and over again, that, in one perspective, they care about sexual assault. They care about domestic violence, but when it comes down to it, they don't right. When it comes down to ability on the football field, does it matter to them? Absolutely not. And, or even more than, uh, I mean, I don't know if I would
1: say absolutely not, but they're willing, they want, they, they don't want to believe the worst of players who are talented at football. They want to believe their stories.
0: I, I, I think having a thorough conversation about their own players and who their players are is an important conversation to have. Don't you, if we're going to talk about character here, if we're going to talk about character here, I mean, I would prefer we don't talk players.
1: about character here because we,
0: again, we're not, that's it. That's fine. If you're just like, we don't give a fuck. If you are John, not even that, I mean like, that like, we, we drafted draw, Charles be Cross because like he's a beastly offensive lineman. Don't bring up that he's from a two parent household. Yes. Just be like he's a fucking beastly offensive lineman. And that's why we drafted him.
1: You don't have to say we don't give a fuck. You just have to not say anything
0: or not say anything. It's that, that,
1: really easy to do to not say anything. Actually, it's an extreme. I mean, it's not easy for us. It
0: seems really hard for the Seahawks.
1: I don't think the Seahawks are unique among professional or, or sports organizations. organizations.
0: Look, let me just tell you, NFL organizations have a really hard time with this.
1: I don't think it's unique to the NFL. I don't think it's unique to sports. I don't think it's unique to anything. So.
0: But the issue is that he actually doesn't. They don't actually care about Charles Cross coming from a two-parent family. That's the thing that's just like, shut the fuck up. That's it. Right. It's like, look,
1: the the beauty of the Seahawks is that they have allowed their players to be whoever they are.
0: Exactly. So many of their players, like I know about Russell Wilson's dad a little bit, but like, It just doesn't have to be part of their story. You know what I mean? Like these players are writing their own story. And I think that's the awesome thing about it is that they are and that the Seahawks give them the opportunity to, right? It doesn't have to be based upon what your parents did and who they were. Agreed. So I I think it's a little bit, it's disappointing to hear that. 100%. as As a talking piece.
1: All right. On that note,
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Congrats again to the sounders. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Many hours later. I didn't even fucking make a three eleven reference here, people. (laughs) It's episode three or three eleven. There is no this whole fucking thing over again. Amber is the color of your energy. Didn't bring it up. I I listened to it before the pod. Did you really? I did. I had a lot of time. I've got this light that's like flickering. It's
1: very strange. I don't know if I would have thought of it if it weren't for it getting referenced by Hotties at their show on 311. There you go. 311 day.